All right, good morning, church. We are glad you are here. Hey, Carla, you ready to worship this morning? All right. Now, if Carla can have that enthusiasm, we can have that enthusiasm, right? Would you stand with us? Let's worship our great God and King, because he has done great things. Come, let us worship our King. Come, let us bow at his feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered. Jesus, 
God's our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all, hallelujah, God, unshakable, hallelujah, you have done great things. Hallelujah, God, above it all. Hallelujah, God, unshakable. Hallelujah, you have done great things. I've done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquered the grave. You freed every captive and break every chain, oh God. You have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God. You have done great things. You have done great things, oh God.
Heavenly Father, we lifted our voices to you this morning. You are our audience. You are our great God and King. We worship you for what you have done in this world, what you have done in our lives. You've changed our darkness to light. You have redeemed our souls from our own depravity, from our wickedness, from our evilness, from our enmity with you. Your word says, God, while we were your enemies, you sent your son to die for us. You have bought us back, God, redeeming us from our sins. God, and now we can be called your children. We can call you our Father. Lord, so this morning, Father, as we lift our voices as your children, we just want to adore who you are. We want to draw close to you, God, depending on your faithfulness to your word, as you know, we know you will be, that when we draw to you, you will draw near to us as well. God, you seek to be sought by your children, and that's what we do this morning. Help us to be more like you. In Christ's name, amen. preached half my message in that prayer. So there is something um, that has been started in our church that is started as a joke and become a serious um, point of contention. And it has to do with a ball. You're like, what are you talking about? This ball started as a joke. And one day I was up here working, and this ball mysteriously kept coming down the hallway where I was working. I'm like, who, where's this ball coming from? And I went after this little kid in our church known as Lincoln. You ever met this Lincoln kid? He's sneaky, that kid. And I'm like, ah, I threw the ball at him. And to come to find out, it was his sister that was doing it. So this ball, which started as a joke now, has been transferred back and forth from my house to her house. My office, it would show up. It showed up on your doorstep at Christmas time-ish, and it just showed up on the pulpit right now. <laughs> I warned her. I said, you'll never get me. You will never get me. That's one for you. That's one for you. But that is all in fun. I love it. I absolutely love the fact that we can have fun at our church. Amen? Amen. Don't sin, but have fun. Fun is, uh, it's a byproduct. It can be its own thing. But a heart that is, is, is given over, a heart that, it, that it has stability and assurance and where we're able to get in each other's lives and enjoy each other and have relationship with each other is fun. We are God's community slash family is the better word there, by the way, that uh, he describes us as believers and followers of, of him. So, um, and by the way, I saw this person last week and didn't get to, I usually don't do this from up here to point people out, but it's good to see Debbie Duddy here today. How are you, Debbie Duddy? So, um, we are going to be in the book of John chapter 8. I'm going to explain to you how and why we are in the book of John chapter 8. I'm watching so many of you right now kind of grab your Bibles, you're opening it up. I love it, I love it, I love it. Getting it rolled up on your phone maybe. So I was preparing this because tonight when we do our Facebook Live, um, that um, uh, I, we're continuing on in the book of John. And as I started preparing this, it kind of just was like, ooh, ooh, I got more excited and more excited. And I'm like, this is morphing into Sunday morning. So that's how we were getting here. So it's a little bit of Sunday night blended in with Sunday morning. You may think, well, Pastor Scott, what's the difference? 
Well, there's a big difference. One is I tend to preach this morning. I tend to take the word of God and the, and, and the, the word is authoritative, not me. And, and we expound on it. We, we're not expound. We exegesis. We, we get all we can out of it and we put it back out into people's lives. But what we do on Sunday night is more just a study. Sometimes some critical thinking even. I even put my notes in here. New term, spiritual critical thinking. There is something that we need to get back to. Critical thinking is good for you. Um, when you think sometimes, people don't like to think much anymore because everything's given to us. Here's the information you need. Here's what you need. Then um, if you're not careful and, don't, and if you're not discerning, you won't be able to decipher between what's true, what's real, what's not. In fact, we saw in Acts chapter 14 this morning in Faithful Life, that very point to be discerning. But uh, in John chapter 8 is where I want us to look today. And we're going to pick up in verse 31 through 36. Why this portion? Well, this is where we are in our study anyways on, on Sunday nights. We're, we'll be getting back to that. Um, but uh, and I, I want to ask this question. The Bible is going to answer it. Here's the question. What is a mark of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? What is a mark? What is an indicator of a genuine is the key word. Say genuine. Genuine. The real deal. The real article. What is a mark of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? Now, this is a mark, not the mark. So, we also know in times past, when we have asked this question, the Bible has answered it. In John 13, 35, Jesus says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciple. So love is and indicator, not the indicator. Here's another one. What is a mark of a genuine follower of Jesus Christ? That's about to be answered here in one moment. But remember that in John, starting with chapter 1 up to chapter 8, there are a lot of truths, a lot of principles, but the one theme that Jesus has continued from chapter 1 up through chapter 8, is to be equal with God. His deity, that's that word deity, his, his uh, supernatural, his natural, his characteristics of who he is. So keep that in the back of your mind. Don't lose that as we continue to move through the book of John. But we look in verse 31 and we're going to see uh, that question answered. Then Jesus said to those who believed in him, if you abide in my word... You are my disciple indeed. Say indeed. Oh, I say it with passion. Indeed. Come on, Carl, Aaron, Andrew got Carla speaking up. You can speak up too. The indeed, what does that mean? That means it genuinely. Now I'm going to read through verse 36 so we have our full context. And then we're going to look at these verses. Then Jesus said to those Jews in verse 31, who believed in him? These aren't the, these aren't the ones that are unbelieving but the believing uh, Jews, which is important here because the people who's getting ready to chime in, he wasn't even talking to them anyways. But that's okay. To the, to the believing Jews, if you abide in my word and you are my disciple, you are my disciple, disciples indeed, verse 32, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's seed, 
and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in, his, in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Say indeed. Yeah, let's crank it up here. What are we, what, what's the question that got answered there is what's a mark of a genuine follower? Well, he answers it in verse 31. If you abide in my word, there's the answer. If you're looking for these marks in your life, sometimes we got to do a self checkup. We, we got to get a checkup. And uh, the problem is when we do a self checkup, sometimes we only see what we want to see. We only hear what we want to hear. We don't see ourselves, but when somebody else does a, a checkup on us and they're a little bit more objective, then you may hear things that you don't want to hear. So this would be a good question to ask yourself. Maybe a fellow believer asked this. Do you see this mark in me? Do you see that I am abiding in the word? Because I want to be a disciple, a genuine disciple of him. Do I have this mark in my life? Well, to help facilitate that, uh, in uh, 2022, this is the year of the Bible. We are nine days into it. Um, we have reading plans out there. It's not too late to jump on board. Different plans, New Testament only. Some of it's uh, aggressive. Some of it's not aggressive. It's, uh, but I would encourage you to make this year the year you do commit to some portion of Bible reading. Now, it's easy in January to get going. It's hard in December to finish. It, 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 starting's easy. Finishing can be more challenging. Oh, that's, well, that's everything in life, though, isn't it? But here we are. A mark of a genuine believer is abiding in the Word. Who is he speaking to? Look in verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believe... When I say Jews, don't, put, don't hear that and think, why is he putting a, a, why does the Bible do that so much? That's the area where they were living. That, that's where he was, is in Israel. But they were believing. They were believing of people of the nation of Israel. They said, we follow, we see Jesus Christ as the Messiah. But I want you to notice this, and this applies to us today. They are not, we use that word saved, by abiding in his word. They abide in his word because they are saved. Look at it again. If you abide in my word, then you're my disciples. He didn't say you'll be my disciples if you abide in my word. It's, you can't flip that around. There is a thirst, a hunger. Listen, when you turn from Christ, or when you turn from yourself and turn to Christ... There's going to be, there should be an appetite to want to know God, to want to know more of him, to know more about our Savior, even the hard parts of Scripture. Did you know there's some hard parts of Scripture? There's some really hard parts. I'm reading the book, of, well, I'm in Genesis, and I, you know, I'm through Abraham, and, and I'm reading about Jacob, and man, my goodness, I, it's so ironic to me that Israel wants to be of the, I'm of the house of Jacob, and Abraham's our descendants. We're going to look at it in a minute. They were liars. They lied. They, they cheat. 
they, they are immoral, and yet they're held up as, 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 as uh, founders of the faith. That's only by God's grace. The Bible is a real book, amen? It's a real book. So you may think, my family is messed up. Guess what? The Bible's full of messed up families. The Bible only has messed up families in it. So you're in good company. You're in good company. I can say this because my sister's here today, that um, when um, if people, a lot of times there'll be a wedding or officiating a funeral, and, and people come to me going, oh, look, my family's really, I'm just letting you know. We don't know. You don't know. And I'm going, let me tell you about my family. Give me 30 seconds. I know. You don't know what I know. The point is, it's the human condition. We're all messed up. We all need a Savior. I think that's somewhere in the Bible, by the way. But who's he speaking to? Believing Jews, they're not saved because they abide in his word. They abide in his word because they are saved. It's the manifestation of salvation. It's the outward expression, the outward show of being saved. A desire for the word. You may think, but Pastor Scott, I've been saved. I've seen fruit in my life, but I don't always desire the word. In fact, man, I struggle with it. What's up with that? It's not, do you complete it? It's, it's a desire. It's to wanting to know more. And sometimes, if you're not careful, you'll let the world... Get in, your, get in your thinking and twist your thinking just enough to where the Bible does become outdated and old. I got Jesus and that's enough. Well, he's given us his word to know him. Where is he going with this in verse uh, 32? Because this verse 32 and, um, and verse 36, I hear a lot. Not just in, in Christian circles. I hear it in, on talk radio. And they'll say things like, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. This isn't an arbitrary truth as you know it. This is the truth of Jesus Christ. That, that's a truth being context here. The key word in verse, 30 word in verse 31 is indeed, truly, really genuine. That's the key word, indeed. Look in verse 32 where it says, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. To know the truth is more definite than knowing what is true. Let me, let me shake that tree again. Are you ready? To know the truth is more uh, definite. I know the truth than knowing the truth. There's a, there's a difference there to knowing what is true, I should say. Here's the ironic part. The hearers of chapter 8. They did not know the truth, and they were in the bondage of religion. Did you hear that? The religion was getting in the, in the way of the relationship, the form and the function. Chapter 8, he has, um, the, the temple scene is going on there, so there's a lot of religious people. Just enough religion to be held back and held down and distant from God. Ignorance, error, sin, law, and superstition ruled their lives. That's, what, that's what's going on right there in verse 32. And I want you to note the connection and the order of these verses. Watch this. Verse 31 says, continue in my word. Look in verse 32, you shall know the truth, 
And let's, the back part of verse 32 says, truth shall make you free. Why is the order important? Because you can't change the order. Look at it. You can't change that order. The truth will make you free. You shall know the truth and then you continue in my word. It's the other way around. The word is a, it's freeing. It's not restrictive. The order can't be changed. His truth gives spiritual liberty. Say liberty with me. Liberty. Gives freedom when you come to Christ. I'm going to make this point in just a moment, but I can't hold back. I want to say it now. People think that when you come to Christ, the world here is coming to Christ, and uh, it, it's going to restrict me. I can't have fun. I can't do the things that I think ought to be fun. It, it's going to restrict. The, it's a bunch of rules and regulations. It's quite the opposite. When you're genuinely in Christ, you are free to do whatever you want. But when you're free to him, you're going to do what he wants. See the difference? It's not drudgery to go to church or come to church. It's not drudgery to do the spiritual disciplines. These are for your blessedness and for, your, for his glory and your good. You know, talking about the truth, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, that's more than knowing the truth. It's, 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 it's within, not from without. It also frees you from the blinding power of evil itself. I'm going to have Brad put on the board 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Think about this for a moment. Maybe somebody on Facebook is, is stumbled upon this this morning. Or maybe they've been watching for a while and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure this life out and figure out how, how does all this work. Um, I want to go all in. Your life is tangled up, twisted up. You, you can't quite unravel it. When you know the truth, the truth that Jesus Christ is the Savior, the Messiah. He's the one who comes to set us free. He frees you from the blinding power of Satan. Look at this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Actually, verse 3. Brad, sneak in verse 3 if you could for me. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are dying. They, they can't see it. Now look at verse 4. Whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Why can't they see? Because Satan has blinded their eyes. You can't convince them. It's, you, you, you're, and by the way, you're not the word of God or the Holy Spirit. But we do have a role, and that is to share. You can't convince them, and if I can talk you out of it, if I can talk you into it, John Brinker can talk you out of it. So we want something more substantial is how our Lord works. He doesn't, he doesn't need personalities. He doesn't need loud mouths. and He doesn't need all that. He's, our, he's God. He's omnipotent. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. Why do they not believe? Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Who blinded the people? Who blinded you prior to coming to Christ? Satan. Jesus Christ frees all the illustrations and imagery that he gives. He is light. He is light. He sets free. He is truth. 
He also delivers from the darkness of spiritual death. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. Now look in verse 32 of John 8. So he just dry. I mean, I don't want to be too irreverent here, but Jesus just bite dropped him, right? Boom. He, he, he made a statement that is so true that it's, it's not just a true statement. There's nothing really more to be said. But guess who speaks up? The people that he really wasn't addressing, verse 31 and 32, too, anyways. Verse 33 says, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say, you will be made free? Verse 33 is an interesting point of scripture. Again, the, the, the audience is the wrong people, but that's okay. Some of the Jews took issue saying they have never been in bondage. Well, the problem with that is they either don't know their history or they have a short memory. They were in bondage to Egypt, to Syria, Babylon, uh, Persia, Greece, and now Rome. They've almost always been under bondage of some sort. And by the way, and that's the point that Jesus Christ is making, not knowing the bondage of sin that they're currently in. They were held back. Sin is changed. Um, the second song that, we, that you let us in. In Christ alone, he, he, that line is in there, how our chains, the chains of sin. And some people can't understand that because they look at that and believers go, but I still sin, so I still have chains. The freedom of sin is gone. We need, we need that daily. We need that continually going before him to stay the communication, to stay clean and pure before him. But the, the, the bondage of, of sin is gone when you come to Christ. So many things happen to you when you accepted Christ and you didn't even know it. You didn't even get to, you don't fully appreciate it, perhaps. I remember that song in, in, in particular. We were in Kansas, uh, Kansas City. And that song, I was studying some theology at that time. And one of the verses in that song moved me so hard when I realized that I was free. I was free. I was way up in the balcony toward the back. It was a big congregation, a big church thing, and, and the music was top-notch and all that. But the lyrics still spoke to the heart, spoke to the truth of the Word of God. So they're saying, hey, we are of our descendants, uh, Abraham, and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say this? How can you say that you will be made free? Look in verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, though the nation of Israel knows slavery because of their history, whether they want to admit it or not, they, they were slaves politically. They missed the point and they missed the application. Even in real time, these people that are addressing Jesus, even in real time, they were politically enslaved. They thought they were free, but they weren't. Rome, in their province, they ruled that area. And they let them have their little religious laws, and they let them have these other areas. But they paid tribute back to Rome. They were held prisoner politically by Rome. But they missed the point and the application anyways, because Jesus is saying, you are in bondage, not by another nation, but by sin. Sin. It'll take you farther than you want to go, leave there longer than you want to stay. 
Sin, Jesus was speaking to the slavery of sin. Keep your finger there in John. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. I hope I'm not speaking too fast. I was on my way up here and I told Molly, man, I'm all wound up about the text today. And she's like, good. I'm like, that's good, but I don't, sometimes I get too, too going too fast. Hear the word of God today. You need it. You need it. Our hearts drift, our hearts wander. I'm speaking to the believer now. We get wayward, we get critical, we get all these things. We need the word of God. It can meet us right where we're living. We need to live our lives as if we were set free from those chains. Look at Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Jesus was speaking to the slavery of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 says, But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from the sin, from sin, you become slaves to righteousness. Listen, that, that, that's a little hanging fruit there. That one's not complicated to figure out. Verse 17, but God be thanked that though you were a slave to sin, that's all you could do prior to Christ's sin. You may think, but I know some nice people. Guess what? They're still sinners. I know people that do some great things. They do more for humanity than Cross Point Church ever did. They're still sinners. Nobody's, nobody's made that mark. Nobody's hit the mark. But in verse 17, but, but God be think that though you were slaves to sin, it's past tense, yet you obeyed from the heart, immaterial part of us, that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. What's that form of doctrine? The doctrine of, well, the, church, the big word is soteriology, but the form of doctrine, simply put, is understanding who Jesus Christ is, placing your faith in him. That's the form of doctrine that's referred to. Look in verse 18, and having been set free. Do you live your life as if you were set free? How, what does your life look like? How would other people look at your life and say, there's something different about them in a good way. There's always something different about it. But in a good way, like, I want that. That's what I want. That would be a, an, an indicator of somebody whose life, who's living their life as if they were set free. Somebody who's smiling all the time and you don't know why. Like, what do you know that I don't know? Why are you smiling? There's a joy that comes. A stability that comes from being all in for Jesus Christ. He goes on, well, I'll say verse 19, because I, I want to get back to our John text as well. Though they belong to the favored seed, going back to John chapter 8 and verse 33, it is true that the people that are speaking here in verse 33, that though they belonged to the favored seed of Abraham, they're right, they're not wrong, they are not exempt to the general spiritual law or the curse you got it you're in the club you're of the seed of abraham but you're just as lost as everybody else you got the pedigree you got the bloodline you got the paper but you're just as lost as everybody else they thought we're in 
we're in. And I get how they got there. When we look at the, the Bible, the Old Testament, you can see how, how they could get there in their thinking. It's wrong, but you could see how they would get there. But they thought they were in. And Jesus is saying, you're not. Abraham will be used later, by the way. Verse 37 through 47, um, the, Abraham is used to, again, um, they're making points. He's making points as well. Ultimately, that brings them to Christ being the Messiah. Every person in their natural condition commits, I got that in quotations, commits sin. Commit sin here is referring to habitual or regularly practice. That's what's being referred to here. Here's a new thing I put in my notes. I used to put spiritual ADD moment. That means we're going off in a tangent and I'm going to get back on pace. I found a new one this week. It's called spiritual critical thinking. There's a lost art, isn't it? The ability to think things through. Why? Because so much stuff is just given to us. We don't have to think. It's just there it is. And, and, but, but critical spiritual critical thinking. What's the difference between a believer and a non-believer or a natural person if they both live in sin? So what's the difference? Here it is. The genuine believer, the genuine Christian, Christian, though they may sin daily, watch this, the Holy Spirit convicts, the Word convicts, the cross convicts, but leads to forgiveness, grace, excitement, stability. That's the difference. That, that is the difference. We need a daily cleansing. The natural, unbelieving person does nothing but sin. And they can do it with a smile sometimes, too. A corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. You ever heard that before? If you plant an apple tree, where are you going to get off of apples? Where are you going to get off that tree? Apples. Are you with me? But if that root, if it's diseased, and I know this one from experience, the house we moved into... It had two apple trees, three apple trees, actually, when we first got it. We're like, sweet, a house and apples. And first of all, I didn't know this. Did you know that apple trees sometimes only produce every two or three years? That was the first letdown. Number two is the trees were diseased. It was bad fruit, so we had apple fights with them. But, and a, a rotten apple, getting hit by a rotten, rotten apple is not as fun as you would think it is either. But a corrupt tree cannot bring forth good fruit. Okay, you've heard this illustration a bunch of times. The fruit is only going to be as good as the root. The root. The root's good. The fruit's good. You can't have the opposite happen. That's in uh, Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20. By the way, the one claiming to not be in bondage... In verse 33, the ones claiming not to be in bondage, they were about to plot murder against Jesus Christ and then ultimately execute him and get it done. Sin had a hold of them. Look in verse 34, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of 
sin. Let's talk about that slave of sin for just a moment. The human condition thinks that becoming a follower, a, a believer in, in Christ, means you forego your freedom. This is what I was saying earlier. They imagine restrictions and laws of the Bible, or you got to start acting and talking a certain way. It takes away their, their, their liberties and their freedoms. I would again say that's a lie. From Satan, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, because the opposite is true. The one out of Christ is in bondage to follow and obey sin. Love of self, love of world, love of money, love of pleasure. These are all the nagging tyrants that will rule your life. There's an upside. We'll get to the upside in just a minute. Look in verse 35. Verse 35 is intriguing. It says, Jesus is continuing, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. This one, you may, this is an easy verse to peruse over, but this one really it's putting the screws to these unbelievers that are hearing this and what they're hearing because they think they're in the house of God. Abraham's artists, we're descendants of Abraham. We're good to go. He really puts the screws to them. Um, well, that's not, I don't know how that translates into Greek. That's just Scott speaking. But watch what happens in verse 35. A slave did not own the house but had a temporary place in the family. These Jews claimed Abraham's seed in verse 32. Therefore, they were entitled to the house of Jacob, entitled to the house of God, the house of Israel. But these spiritual promises only belong to spiritual people. This is an impossibility for them. Just as it is impossible to have a diseased root and have a good fruit. They were unregenerated and slaves to sin. The slave did not have any assurance that they would live there forever. They had no assurance of that whatsoever. Look at the back part of verse 35. But a son abides forever. But the son, well, he's at home in that house. That's his house. Now, there's some debate here whether the word son is meaning the Son of God, meaning Jesus, or the children of God, meaning like believers, sons and daughters. But for my money, it's Jesus. The point is that Jesus was clearly telling them they were not sons, but slaves who could be kicked out at any time. That's what he was telling them. And by the way, all this comes right in the heels of being in the temple of being in the temple, and all these things are going down, and that was kind of their house as well, when in reality it was the son's house. The son was at home. The point is, he's clearly telling them, you can be kicked out at any time, because you're not a spiritual people. Verse 36 is the verse that uh, again, it dovetails with uh, verse 32 that gets quoted a lot. I hear this on sometimes uh, talk shows, and they always talk about truth. You got to know the truth, and and I get it. I got it. I know what I know what I, I know it uh, because there's so much misinformation or partial information or, or news. It's spun, and they'll say if you know the truth, it'll set you free. 
That's not the truth that the world's talking about. Is not the truth that Christ is talking about. He says in verse 36, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You're free because of the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. See, but the Son, going back, looking back at the context of verse 35, he is no bond slave. He's not the slave. He's in the Father's house. Free, free indeed. Free from what? What are they free from? Free from deliverance, from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. They are free from the penalty of the law. Did you know of all the laws and all the commandments? Oh my goodness, if I got to hear one more person misquote the Old Testament or misapply the Old Testament as I'm looking and doing some research on things. But the law, there's so many laws in the Old Testament, laws in the Old Testament. Well, if we're going to go by that, then you are going to fall short, period. You don't even know them all. You can't keep them all. But there's a penalty that comes from breaking the law, God's law. There's a freedom from that. There's a freedom from the wrath of God. The wrath of God was satisfied with Christ on the cross. You're free from what? Free indeed from what? The power of Satan. Think about this. Satan has a stronghold. I would even say a stranglehold on some. That power, he is very, very powerful, but he's no match for Jesus Christ. So watch where I'm going with this. Many people, I've heard churches do this over the years. We're going to attack hell with the water gun. You know, where we're going to tell Satan, listen, the Bible never tells you to interact with evil. In fact, it says get as far away from it as you can. Let Christ handle that. You're not as strong as you think you are. But I'm in Christ. You better let Christ handle that. You, ain't, you don't want that mess. You don't want that battle. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. The power of Satan. You can be free, free indeed from what? The power of Satan. There's a, how about the power of bondage? I'll pick that one up again in a minute. But for the first time, as a believer, you don't have to sin. You'll be tempted. And you, but you don't have to. Prior to this, what Jesus is saying to the non-believers, that's all you can do. Depraved nature, it's all you can do. A couple more verses I want us to consider this morning. Keep your finger there in Acts chapter, I'm um, sorry, Roman. How about, one of the, any, pick any book of the Bible. <laughs> let's go with John. Let's try that one. John 8, bookmark that. Now let's go to Romans 6. We were there a moment ago. I want you to see a different verse. Romans 6. There's a bondage of sin that will own you. Look in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, you're under grace. There's a bondage of sin. Does it mean you're going to be a perfect people? No, but it means you're going to be a forgiven people. Sneak your eyes down to verse 18 of Romans 6. And having been set free from sin, you become slaves of righteousness. It's not a journey. It's not a chore. When you, when you have the right heart and you're saying, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to do these things for you. There's an excitement that happens there. Yeah, it's work, but there's an exciting element to it because you're a part of something bigger than yourself. 
When you are a slave to sin, you're only a part of yourself. You're doing what pleases self. Lord, serving you. I don't want to be a slave to sin. I'm free. Free to do what? Free to follow. I want to follow you. Free to follow you. There's another freedom that takes place. A freedom from what? How about this? A freedom from the authority of religion. Turn with me to Colossians. Keep your finger there in John 8. Now go to Colossians. Well, Colossians <clears throat> chapter 2, verse 20. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. There's a, an authority of man or the authority of religion is what you can be freed from today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20 says, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, with all, which all con concern things which perish with the using concerning, uh, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. It all starts from the inside out. Free from the authority of man, free from the authority of a religion. You know, there's a positive side to being set free. Keep your finger there in, in, in Romans. We're going to see it in just a moment. You're free to serve. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22. You're free to serve. I've used this saying. I've heard it years ago. I haven't said it in a while. Love Jesus and do what you want. Because if you love him, you'll do what he wants. Who's ever heard that before? Okay, I said it a thousand times and only three people remembered it. Love him and do what you want. You'll do what he wants. Is that not what love does? You'll find yourself in your love for your children, love for your spouse, love for parents, love for whoever. You'll find yourself doing things that you typically wouldn't do. Why is that? You're free to serve. You choose in Christ. And for the first time, you don't have to sin. Whether it's what we call the big sins or the heart sins, the ones that are hidden, perhaps. Romans 6 Go back to Romans 6, we'll look at one verse, and then we're going to go back to John 8. And Romans 6, verse 22. Now, we're very familiar with Romans 6, 23, but look in verse 22. But now, having been set free from sin, now we're free, and having become slaves to God, you have your fruit to holiness and to the end, everlasting life. There it is. Isn't that great? Let's, let's shake that tree again. Now that you've been set free from sin, the thing that will drag you down, hold you down, bind you up, because you've given, they've been defeated on the cross, you trade your life for his, and having become slaves to God, God, I want you to, to take up residence in me, change my heart, change my actions. You have your fruit 
to holiness, to what's right and to what's good. And in the end, and, and the end, everlasting life to boot. Is there a downside? Go back to John chapter 8, and this is where we conclude this morning with the text. I want to reread verse 31 through 36. So we have a proper interpretation, a proper application of what God would have us to do. So when you hear people use these verses and they, they grab them from here and grab them over there over your lifetime, you'll have a, a working understanding of what is truly meant, what is genuinely meant, and how you can see this indicator of a being a genuine follower. John chapter 8, verse 31, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word and you are my disciple, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's bow. Lord, we're asking you to move and to do a work that only you can do at this time. This is a time when we spend drawing application and making your word become real in our life and adjusting our lives to be well-pleasing to you. So whether it's a wayward believer that, that needs some structure, that needs some, some, some discipline, that needs just work in the heart, or if it's the person on Facebook or a person that's come in the building today and says, you know, I've been playing the game, I'm not all in. I, don't, I need to trade my life for his because I don't know that truth. I've heard of it, but I don't know it. We're asking you to do what only you can do, and that is move and change in people's hearts and lives this morning as Andrew leads us in his song of invitation. I lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Once you stand and commit these things to your heart as Andrew leads us, or pray.
All right, as we dismiss this morning, I uh, want to uh, remind you we we'll have uh, uh, family night on Wednesday night, so we'll need a little bit of help uh, setting up the chairs or, or putting the chairs aside th- uh, this morning. Also, uh, many of you have been asking about the uh, envelopes that uh, are supposed to come at the end of December, and they were ordered back in uh, September or October extra early, uh, but they're sitting out in a ship someplace out in the Pacific Ocean, I guess, and they'll get here uh, soon. We have blank envelopes out in the uh, lobby if you need those, and uh, you can grab one of those. You can put your number on it or just your name so that we know who is uh, turning in that offering. So with that, you are dismissed. Too great.